The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. Coming to you from Happy Valley after the Nittany Lions 79-7 win over Idaho. I am college football editor Matt Brown, joined as always by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, how are you after week one? You know, Matt, I'm still alive after week one. Everybody made it through. Uh, so good to be here and happy Labor Day to everyone listening. Um, this time of year always reminds me that like this is a holiday for most people. So I guess we could call this a special holiday episode, Matt, if we really wanted to, to fancy it that way. I guess so. And people do have something to celebrate, Penn State fans, after this long weekend. It wasn't the most important game ever played, but it was a satisfying one, I think. So, uh, you know, there's something to celebrate on the holiday weekend, at least. And if you're busy celebrating the holiday, Matt, no better way to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, Dear Old State. Of course, this is Monday. This is our Free for Everyone episode So wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, uh, wherever you may listen to us, feel free to let us know what you're thinking of it, rate, review, subscribe. And of course, Thursday we'll be back with our preview episode, and Thursday, as always, is for our subscribers at The Athletic. If you're a fan of what we're doing, what we're writing, what we're bringing to you from all angles of college football, uh, we appreciate your subscriptions at The Athletic. It allows us to go out and find the kinds of stories that you guys won't find elsewhere. So now that our disclaimer is out of the way, Matt, let's get into that 79-7 route of Idaho and the fact that, yes, you can take some things away from this. I mean, obviously, Idaho was clearly outmatched, um, but a win is a win, and like we've seen across college football, Penn State certainly better doing better than Tennessee this morning, certainly doing better than Florida State this morning, and a host of others. So, Matt, what did you think of Saturday in general? Okay, yeah. Idaho, as we talked about last week, you know, they gave up 79 points to Fresno State last year, 63 points to Florida, now 79 points to Penn State. So it's kind of a trend. This is what they have done since they moved down from FBS to FCS, which I figured out this weekend that Idaho, since moving down, has given up more points to FBS opponents than Clemson. And that's three games for Idaho and 15, I believe, for Clemson. Wow. So, you know, things aren't very really going well with the transition. But, you know, the last two times Penn State played an FCS team before this were 2010 and 2011. 2010, they beat Youngstown State 44-14. to 2011, they beat Indiana State 41-7. to Both easy wins. Fine. This game was worse than that at halftime. It was 44 to nothing yeah. at halftime. And, you know, it's the most points Penn State has scored in a game since 1991, the infamous game against Cincinnati. So, look, you can't learn a lot, but Penn State took care of business. It it got its feet wet with all of these new players. You know, it rotated very, very liberally. Sean Clifford was able to settle in. It was what this team needed, where we talked all offseason, the biggest question is the new faces on offense. Well, they basically got a preseason game, and they got to figure things out. (laughs) And Clifford, you know, was a little spotty early, but he got to settle in. And so, you know, no, this is not going to tell us how this season is going to go. But I think it was a helpful game for the way this roster is constructed to play a team like this rather than, you know, go to Dallas and play Auburn like Oregon did. You know, it, it's, it's a right. different type of situation, a different type of team. This opener fit what this team needed. Absolutely, Matt, because you look at it, and Penn State won't have that luxury in coming years when you think about it. Um, Of course, I mean, the non-conference schedule this year sets up differently, but down the road you look, I mean, you get Virginia Tech on there, and a few years they open up uh, at Wisconsin. So you get Auburn and non-conference play down the road as well. So, you know, take advantage of it when you have it, right, with a game like this. And 
you said yes, they substituted liberally, and Penn State really, which is something we have not seen under James Franklin, I mean, they kind of called the dogs off on this one. I mean, Sean Clifford played into that first series of the second half, and that was it. And so you were able to get Will Levis those valuable reps. We saw them rotating the offensive line throughout the game, um, getting a lot of different combinations going on up there. We saw them able to roll through that receiving core. So, you know, for what you wanted in week one, which of course was a win, and you wanted to see how Sean Clifford looked, you were able to get those things. And the benefit too, Matt, Clifford making his first collegiate start, I thought it was really interesting and telling that he acknowledged after the game, yeah, he was nervous, right? A lot of guys would just say, oh, no, I was fine, or they'd keep it to themselves. But he said, no, I was really nervous. So that's the benefit to this game, right? Sean Clifford, the first two drives could get the jitters out. Penn State could move on from there. So all in all, um, with the exception of Pat Fryermuth, who might be dinged up, probably dinged up after taking a hit to the head, which he did, um, Everything else, Matt, I think was about as good as you could have hoped from a season opener. Um, but now you just have to see what Fryermuth's health is, which James Franklin would not get into after the game. So that'll be something to kind of uh, keep an eye on this week. Yeah, one thing that stuck out to me is that the depth chart that was released last week was pretty remarkably accurate and honest. Like, there, well, there Matt, a, I will find the one exception. Yeah, there were a couple exceptions, the, but yeah. you know, the oars at the running backs—they did exactly what they said they were legit. going to do. <laughs> They, they rotated them in that order, and so, you know... It, and you know what, Matt? While we're on the running backs, I thought this was a really cool moment. Nick Urie, yes. the fifth-string running back, he gets his touchdown as the stadium's clearing what out. What a play. <laughs> and, and I had the side vantage from that, so I was down on the field, and seeing that from that angle, you could just see his legs just keep churning and churning and churning. <laughs> Big time run, touchdown, and really cool to see the sideline react the way they did. Um, kind of like a Rudy moment, you know, for Penn State and what it meant to Nick Yuri. And I was, because the sideline was so excited for, for him, I asked Journey Brown afterward, you know, I said, hey, we don't know a lot about Nick Yuri other than you guys just lost your mind celebrating with him. What should we know about him? And Journey Brown gave some really great and insightful yeah. answers. And he said, you know, this guy, he's the glue in the running back's room. They call themselves the Lawn Boys. They wanted to call themselves 7-Eleven because they were always open. Um, but they rerouted and went with the Lawn Boys, which totally works. They ran all over the place on Saturday. But he's the glue to that room. He's a guy who's a walk-on who had a chance to go and play at smaller schools but wanted to play at Penn State. Um, and that was a really big moment for that kid. So it was really nice to see. Um, how everybody celebrated with him, but I just, I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I will say all the rotating that they did, did kind of throw our predictions out of whack. Uh, we, what did we whack. say before the game? We said that, uh, well, we, we, we asked. I said KJ Hamler would have the first touchdown. It was close. If, if they if didn't the, overthrow him, he would have. Well, then he got that tip ball too. First so, batted down, yeah. batted down. Yeah. So, but they rotated and Journey Brown ends up scoring the first touchdown because he was in on what, the third series. Uh, we said yep. that. You know, we, we asked, okay, which one's going to lead the team in rushing? I knew, I thought it would be somebody would have like an 80-yard touchdown run because that's what happens against Idaho, and that is what happened. It just <laughs> happened to be the fourth guy, Devin Ford. So Devin Ford rushed for uh, 98 more yards than Ricky Slade because Ricky Slade didn't really get into a rhythm at running back. He did have a nice catch, did have a touchdown, but Devin Ford had six carries for 107 yards with an 81-yard touchdown. And, and, I mean, it's going to be about playing the hot hand, right, Matt? Sure. I mean, that's going forward. That's what we're going to see them do. And, you know, I'm curious, too, with the usage there, 
Um, I mean, does Noah Kane maybe become your goal line guy, right? Or, I mean, is that a role really best suited for Ricky Slade? Uh, I'm not quite sure right now, but you've got four really good running backs. And yes, it was Idaho, but these guys were really impressive, um, I think. And I had, you know, high expectations for these guys coming in. But I think they were even more impressive than I thought they would be. And I think you just raised a good question, though, is, is how will this play out going forward? Because I don't think we, we really know based on Saturday where it was basically rotating by drive. You know, will somebody develop yeah. a situational role? As you just mentioned, could Kane end up being like a goal line guy? I don't know. Um, will somebody be like a third down back? I don't know. Or are they going to rotate kind of by series and who has the hot hand? So I think that's something we'll still see kind of play out as they get a feel for these guys and what they can do in the different skill sets. Uh, so, and, and, you know, another positive here, I think, and they got some involved in the passing game. Journey Brown had two catches for 31 yards. Ricky Slade had a catch for 26 yards. Devin Ford had three catches. They didn't really go anywhere, but they just kind of got a lot of guys involved in a variety of ways, which is what you want again in the opener. Um, you know, I, and my, same thing with KJ Hamler, man. Yeah. I mean, we had talked all last week, really all off season about what are they going to do to get him involved? Right. How creative are they going to get? And we saw that come to light. I mean, I think, yes, again, it's Idaho, that disclaimer's out there. But there have been a lot of critics of this offense, a lot of critics of Ricky Ronnie and will he be creative? What kind of things will they do? And I did think that we were able to see that, right? They got these running backs more involved in the passing game. They got K.J. Hamler open in space. And so I think now it's just every week, what other little things are we going to see more and more of? And we're also going to hear the phrase, Sean Clifford is more athletic than you think, about 30 times per broadcast now, <laughs> after he ran seven times, 57 yards, had a 25-yard run, which, hey, it was pretty impressive, honestly. Uh, he, you know, I think, no, he's not McSorley. We're also going to hear that phrase said 100 million times this year. Which, I will say, this was a funny moment post-game. Uh, David Jones, Penn Live Patriot News. I work with Dave, consider him a friend. He's also a Downingtown resident, which is my hometown. And uh, Dave said afterward to Sean Clifford, he didn't mean to say it, but he said, hey, you know, you made a play and it was very McSorley-esque. And Clifford just cracked up laughing and everybody in the scrum started laughing. And he said, you know what? Sean said, I was waiting for somebody to bring that up. I knew I couldn't go a whole interview without somebody mentioning Trace McSorley. Well, now we know so it already happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the big shadow is there. Miles Sanders was actually on the sideline. Uh, Saturday, so he was taking that in on uh, NFL roster cutdown day. Imagine if he would have returned. Think about the depth they have at running back already with four guys we've barely Oof. even seen. So it, it that was one oh where gosh, he was a yeah. great player, but it was one that Penn State could survive just because, I mean, look at the talent they have. I mean, five-star and Slade, two four-star freshmen, and then Journey Brown, who is just a freakish athlete in terms of speed, and, and could they could really have something in him too. So just a variety of weapons that we saw. They got Hamler involved. You know, my prediction for first touchdown was Justin Shorter. He ended up having the first catch, which was nice to see. There you go. So yeah. Shorter came out, had three catches, 36 yards. Uh, kind of, you know. Here's just... my question with, with this, Matt. And I brought it up in the Monday Upon Further Review column that's up at The Athletic if you get a chance to check it out. Um, Please do. Got, it's extremely say... thorough, and readers are raving about it. So don't take my and word he says thorough as the man who had to edit this 3,000-word uh, monstrosity that I submitted <laughs> Sunday evening. Uh, but within that piece, I mentioned that, you know, you just kind of look at everything and you try to see surface level, bigger picture, what's going on. But then you also want to dig into um, the little nuts and bolts. And one of the things was Justin Shorter. OK, you see him the opening drive, which was good because it was presumed that he was banged up during camp. He was atop the depth chart, but none of us really knew what that meant. 
Uh, but the second series, they kept Jahan Dotson, they kept KJ Hamler in, but then they put in Daniel George. Right. So to me, I'm just wondering how much separation there is between those two. And I don't think this isn't a knock to Justin Shorter because I still think he's going to be a tremendous player. But I think it's as much a testament to Daniel George and his development and what they think about him that there may not be a whole ton of separation there, which is a really good problem for Penn State to have. And I think it's a testament to the way James Franklin and his staff have recruited that we kind of forget about guys who were four-star recruits. Like everybody was just so focused on Justin Shorter, five-star he is, you know, number one receiver recruit in the country. And then Jahan Dotson plays early last year, doesn't doesn't redshirt. But Daniel George is a four-star player, uh, 274th overall in the country. He was a really good recruit. And it's not going to yeah. be a surprise if he ends up being a big-time player at Penn State because he was that level of recruit. So it's just – there's just more guys like that on this roster than we have seen because they're – you know, the, the recruiting classes have picked up, especially in the past few years, and we're, we're starting to see signs of that. We're not, you know, we don't know how it's going to play out when Penn State is playing actual meaningful games, but this team just has more options. And if those options develop and are kind of ahead of schedule, or, or at least on schedule, or maybe a little bit ahead of a schedule, then this team could be really good this year. But that's and kind of the mystery of how this season is going to play Matt, out. Speaking of options, when you look at it, um, with the offensive line, and they've taken a ton of heat here the last few years especially, we were able to see them get Rashid Walker. Okay, he starts at left tackle. C.J. Thorpe gets the start at right guard. But then they were able to move them in there. I mean, we saw Mike Miranda spell mm-hmm. Thorpe and Steven Gonzalez. Depth chart didn't lie again. Spots. Yeah, depth chart was accurate. And then all of their talk about three guards, three tackles, that played out. I mean, Des Holmes came in early on. He spelled Rashid Walker at left tackle. Then they kept Des Holmes at left tackle and put Rashid Walker over on the other side at right tackle because they want to get him more experience on the right side. So I asked James Franklin about that after the game, and he said, you know, this is one of those positions where they want to try to really genuinely develop that depth. And you saw Caden Wallace come in at the end of the game. Uh, He was at right tackle. So Salim Worley got in really late the game as well at guard. So they have young guys. They showed that they're not afraid to put these guys in there. But a lot of credit to the offensive line. I mean, the running backs, of course, you look at, again, it's Idaho, but you look at the success that they had on the ground. um, And the offensive line took a step forward. And I was impressed, Matt, with the tempo, especially early on. The offense came out. I thought they did a nice job with tempo. And talking to players afterward, they said that's something that's going to carry through, that they really want to work on up in the tempo, which, again, when you've got all these substitutions and guys going in and out, that's really difficult to do. Um, but establishing that tempo, keeping defenses on their toes, I think we're going to see more of that in the coming weeks too. One other thing I wanted to bring up that I was glad you did in your column because I rewatched the game yesterday and there were two noticeable plays that just caught my eye. And then you made gifts of them and, and put them in your article. And that was just here the, to serve the people. There you go. Man. The little things that some young players were doing, which uh, when KJ Hamler had that 16 yard run early, Ricky Slade was out in front of him as the lead blocker and basically just mm-hmm. pancaked somebody. And then when Devin Ford had his 81-yard touchdown, yeah. Justin, or Justin Shorter was running down, sprinting downfield and kind of just sealed off the lane to just make sure Ford didn't get caught. And those were two, like, effort plays that, you know, you like to see from young guys. You know, it's it's a overmatched opponent, and they were, you know, clearly going to be up big early. And, you know, the guys are make, doing the little things right and, and – and making big plays that get noticed, I think, by coaches too. And we we even notice them. And if you're a running back or receiver, we're noticing the effort on a block. Uh, that's pretty good. 
Oh, yeah. And Matt, how many times in this business do we hear from coaches? It's all about the little things, right? Uh, again, in a route like that for especially younger guys. And one of the things that James Franklin pointed out was Penn State, you know, you look at their penalties, uh, which they didn't commit many of them. I believe they had three penalties, which with using all these different guys, all these younger guys, that was also a good number. So one of those things that you can kind of take away. Um, I won't nitpick too much because it was a <laughs> 79-7 victory for Penn State. However, third down conversions, and James Franklin brought this up himself on his post-game news conference. They were one of eight on third downs. Now, a variety of things at play here. Uh, I mean, you, they were substituting so many guys, yeah. so what do you really take into that? But that is a number to keep an eye on because that was a troublesome area for the Penn State offense last year. Um, so that's really my only thing if I'm going to nitpick something and we know I probably will um, that could potentially be the one area for the offense but Matt flip it over to the other side of the ball we all offseason wrote discussed how we thought this defense could be really dominant that we thought Ito Gross Matos coming back from the suspension wouldn't miss a beat that we thought Micah Parsons would take the next step and I thought we started to see that on Saturday what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of last year, what was the big question? They they couldn't tackle. I mean, it was a big problem. Mm-hmm. The App State game it was a big, big problem, like the first half against Pitt, first half against Illinois. And again, it was Idaho. We have to use that disclaimer with like every other sentence we say, but they <laughs> tackled well. There, you know, it wasn't Idaho had negative 25 rushing yards at halftime, I think. And that Jeez. includes sacks, which yeah. this defense was very good at generating negative plays last year. And it was very good at generating negative plays on Saturday. Seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss. I don't know if I've ever felt worse for a player than Idaho's left guard when Yitor Gross Matos oh, kicked yeah. inside on a, in a clear passing down. And just, I mean, the guy was like frozen and barely moved. And Gross Matos just cleared by him and drilled the quarterback. That gif is also up on The Athletic <laughs> yes. and upon further review if you want to see it. I mean, that poor kid, it was <laughs> it was not even close. And, and, that, and that was something where, which we saw them do it a little bit last year. So they went... They brought Jason Owe in. They had Chaka Tony on. I believe it was third and 10, and they kicked Gross Matos inside. Um, and, I mean, this guy can generate pressure from wherever you put him, and he certainly did. But I think kind of one of the telling things in that sequence is, okay, maybe they believe that Jason Owe is their third best defensive end. Right? I think if at least putting... it's those situations, though. You know, you have a guy, a guy mm-hmm. like that who is uh, – He's a rusher. Exactly. Man. He's a speed rusher, so – he, I think we will at least see, you know, I think it could be situationally, you know, if, we'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe not, yeah. but they've got the depth. They've got the talent. We know there. Shane I Simmons mean, has talent too. And we'll see him. But in terms of if, if it's a third and long situation and you're trying to get speed onto the field direct, cause you know, they're not going to run the ball, mm-hmm. then, you know, get the, four, no three guy the guy you're going to see out there. So I think at least in that respect, he's probably almost like a starter in third and long situations, I would think. Yeah, and I think, too, we got some looks at, at their nickel, at their dime package. Uh, one of the things that impressed me was when they went to the nickel, Keaton Ellis, the freshman corner from State College, was the guy who came on. Um, so we've seen John Reed handle the nickel position before, but Keaton Ellis became that extra extra defensive back who checked in. Again, as a true freshman, we knew Keaton Ellis was going to play, but he also played on special teams. He played at corner. Um they've got big things in mind for this guy. Yeah. And part of that too was because Donovan Johnson was suspended. I think uh, it's only part of it. Honestly, goals. I think it's only part. But of I it. agree with you. Yeah, I really do. Because I think just everything we've heard, everything we've, I've asked people about during camp, Keaton Ellis was a name that just kept coming up. He kept making plays and 
guys like that, you find a way to get them on the field, right? I mean, these are people that, you know, you look and say, okay, what can they do? Uh, and Keaton Ellis is certainly one of those guys. So they expected to play him. They did play him. But the other freshman corner who surprised me, he was not on James Franklin's original list of green lights, which I know we talked about this on Thursday. I thought we'd see him, and we did see him, uh, Joey Porter Jr. This guy came on early on. It wasn't like this was some late you know, right. fourth quarter substitution. He was in there in the first half. So I think he's another guy. You put him out there. You see what you, know, you, see what you can get out of him at corner. Um, but yeah, I thought the secondary looked good. I thought Lamont Wade had a nice game. Um, again, it's Idaho. We'll see. Uh, but all in all, Matt, Micah Parsons, uh, quiet game, but with all the substitutions they were doing, uh, there's no reason to be concerned well, with Micah. Yeah, Idaho didn't even get, just never even got past the defensive line, I feel like. like yeah. You know, when they ran the ball, it was just, you know, they were just stopped instantly, whether it was Gross Matos or, uh, you know, I think everybody at one point made some kind of big play up front. Um, you know, uh, Antonio Shelton had a big play in the backfield, I believe. And yeah. so it was just, you know. I mean, that fourth down stop that they made, I think, and again, I mean, it was the opening drive uh, for Idaho, but that was the game right there in my mind. It was okay. They're trying to, you know, get something going. You know they've got to take chances. And fourth down, Penn State just absolutely blows up that play. Yeah, right there, it's, you have no I, chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the crowd was into it at that moment. It was like, okay, you saw how they dominated the trenches, and you're like, all right, there's no match here to be found. Um, but so to Penn State's credit, they needed to be dominant on defense, and they were. Um, but, Matt, they also were not shying away from putting true freshmen in there. Uh, ten true freshmen saw the field during the course of this route. And as I already mentioned, Keaton Ellis was in there. Uh, Disa Isaac, the defensive end, who they're really, really high on, he also was in there. We saw Lance Dixon get in a little bit at linebacker and at special teams. Brandon Smith also at linebacker and special teams. And we'll talk about Brandon a little bit more in a second because I thought he did some really nice things. Caden Wallace got in at right tackle, was also part of the uh, – Field goal and extra uh, extra point units, so a little bit of special teams work. Obviously, Noah Kane, running back, special teams. Devin Ford, running back. Salim Wormley, offensive line. Joey Porter Jr., cornerback. And tight end Britton Strange, who was not on their original green light list, but gets in the game and catches a touchdown pass from Will Levis. Pretty so, good. It seems like a guy who could still very easily redshirt, especially if Fryermuth's not out like for a long period mm-hmm. of time. But if you, it would be nice if you, you know, the, the new redshirt rule, a guy can like redshirt, but still, you know, come on and catch Get touchdown those four passes games. and yeah. catch touchdowns. Like pretty good to record stats in a season that otherwise like previously wouldn't count. So and nice. you bring up a good point there, Matt, because I do wonder, I mean, we've asked Penn State's coaches about this and the, the redshirt strategy and, you know, they want to keep going where it's okay. If these are guys who are green lights, you put them in the first two games, see how they do. Then you keep playing them, burn their red shirts. If you're unsure, you put them in two, then maybe save those other two games for later on in the year if it's injuries or bowl games. But I do wonder, after all the departures that we saw last year, whether via transfer, the transfer portal, guys declaring early for the NFL draft, will they be more willing to play some of these younger guys knowing that these guys didn't come here to be here for five years. I mean, let's just put that out there. That's that's the reasoning. I mean, if you remember when Noah Kane committed, uh, he said he planned to spend his next three years at Penn right. State. I mean, that's when you're dealing with big-time recruits, that's what they're thinking, right? So I do wonder, and I, I mean, I don't expect Penn State to ever come out or any coach to ever come out and say this, but I do wonder if that's kind of a thought in the back of their mind of, hey, you know what? 
it's just the way the game is these days. A lot of these guys, you're not going to have them here for five years, you know? So maybe you do play them a little bit earlier. Um, but absolutely, I thought the true freshman that got in there did some nice things. Brandon Smith, um, I had a chance to go to Virginia, to Louisa, Virginia, to Brandon's hometown in December for a big feature on him and his family. Uh, really nice family, really, really nice kid. But man, when he is on that field, he was just lighting people up. I mean, it was like you flipped the switch. Um, I thought he was really impressive. We've heard so much about his frame. He's a really tall kid, broad shoulders. Matt, did anything stand out to you about Brandon? Yeah, C.J. Thorpe's celebration after Brandon Smith laid that hit on somebody. <laughs> you pulled Took it out. C.J. Thorpe to his knees. C.J. Thorpe is as as advertised in terms of like this energetic, mm-hmm. high, you know, guy who's really intense. And yeah, Audrey zoomed in on a hit Brandon Smith laid out late, and, and C.J. Thorpe literally was brought to his knees on the sideline, like in like exasperation a, over the hit. I think seven <laughs> seconds left in the yeah. game, right? I mean, Brandon Smith just lays this poor Idaho kid out. And I think, though, Matt, that's another good example. We're talking about the little things, especially that the young guys are doing. Man, that's one of those, you're playing to the whistle, you're playing to the end of the game. Um, but, yeah, I thought he was he was certainly impressive. Okay, if you're talking about little things that ordinarily we would not talk about on a podcast, I feel like we do have to fit this in, which is kickoffs. Jordan Stout, oh, yeah. the Virginia Tech transfer, had 12 touchbacks. That is more than 13 FBS teams had all of last season. Uh, so... You know, That's an incredible stat. <laughs> yeah. If you were worried about, you know, special teams this year, you know, we still have a lot to be proved, you know, in terms of kick coverage and everything. Uh, but, well, they might not have to worry about kick coverage this year because every kick is going to go through the end zone. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, then Jordan Stout comes on and, and makes the 53-yard field goal as well. Jake Pinnaker also made a couple shorter field goals. I have to feel pretty good about the, the kicking game right now. You do, and one of the interesting things, I believe it was Tariq Castro-Fields after the game, we were talking about you know Jordan Stout and this big leg, which I also wonder, Matt, I mean, I don't know Virginia Tech's scholarship situation, but what are you how in the world yeah. did they not put this kid that, on That program like, always emphasized special teams, too. Like It was always a big thing under Frank Beamer, and uh, hmm, I, I mean, don't know. <laughs> this, was, this was really Penn State's get, and of course he was eligible to play this year because Penn State put him on scholarship and because he was a walk-on at Virginia Tech, so he was able to play right away. But Tariq Castro-Fields was saying, he's like, listen, when he's back there, like, we don't even have to look because we know that it's going to be going out of the end zone. I mean, this was – and I think it's it's really important, too. He has the accuracy to go along with it. I mean, this isn't just some guy who's going back there, kicking it deep, and maybe every third or fourth kick is going to go out of bounds, which sure. is kind of where Penn State had been in the past. I mean, he's accurate with it. I think – it also puts some pressure on Jake Pinniger, on the sophomore specialist. I asked Jake Pinniger last week about his range. He felt that he'd be comfortable from around 50 yards. So Penn State gets that opportunity for a 53-yarder, and it's Jordan Stout who comes on to kick it. So, I mean, they've got a scholarship invested in Pinniger. He's still a young guy. Um, he had some nice shorter kicks. But I do wonder, especially next year, here I am already, Matt, thinking ahead, next year what Stout's role is on this team because he's also a guy who could challenge for Blake Gillikin's job next year as the punter. So huge, huge, huge leg, big upgrade for them. Uh, Penn State, we did get a chance, wasn't until the second half, to look at the kick return team. They had K.J. Hamler back there with Journey Brown. Um, No Micah Parsons back there on kick return, which again, given the situation, given the way we've seen things play out during camp, I didn't think that was a surprise. 
But, you know, it wasn't a great look at the special teams, especially because they were not willing to punt the ball to K.J. Hamler. I mean, we saw some really terrible punts. punts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, Matt, or at least hoping for that kid's sake. Um, I'm sure that a lot of that was by design, right? Kind of those rugby-style yeah. uh, punts that we saw because Penn State now has to respond to that. And I think we're going to see more and more teams do this with K.J. Hamler because they don't want him to be a factor in the third phase. So I'm curious to see what Joe Lorig, how they kind of combat that um, because that was a weird and interesting development. And KJ said after the game, you know, he was getting frustrated at himself because he wanted to make a play on special teams. I mean, he certainly, certainly made plenty of plays on offense. I, say, I think he should probably relax. He, he did all right on Saturday. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Big enough game uh, for most of us, but for him, he always, you know, wants more and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, Matt Kippenhammer um, struggled back there with the fumbles. Uh, but, again, I mean, Jahan Dotson was their number two returner. Hippenhammer was the number three. So, I mean, most most weeks they're probably not going to get that far down the depth chart. Um, but I thought all in all, Matt, some, some pretty good developments for the special teams as well. Yeah, and I hate to do this to Penn State fans because nobody oh, wants boy. to think about the early 2000s and what those teams looked like. But it do, the, the kicking situation does kind of remind me of what Penn State had back then. Robbie Gould was the field goal kicker who had a weirdly inconsistent career at Penn State and then went on to be one of the best kickers in the history of the NFL. Still is going on. But they also had a kickoff guy, David Kimball, who was kind of had a huge leg, didn't use him on field goals much, but they would bring him on occasionally, especially his last year. I think folks will remember 2003, they played Ohio State. You know, Penn State was terrible that year, but almost beat Ohio State and brought on David Kimball to try like a 63-yard field goal, which he almost made for the win. He missed it. But there, there is – we have seen something like this before where there's like a kickoff machine who doesn't kick many field mm-hmm. goals, but they know they have that leg which could extend their range on field goals when they feel it needed, and we saw that. Yeah, and the thing too with Stout's 53-yarder, I mean, he still had some room to go on that. You know, I, I we haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, um, and I don't know if we will this year, honestly, because typically Penn State freshmen and transfers, um, they don't allow to talk with the media. So he would kind of, I guess, fall into that transfer category as well. But I'm just curious. I mean, what is this guy's range? How far has he kicked it in practice? Because he's uh, certainly a legitimate weapon, which, as you're going to see, Matt, as the season plays out, um, you know, this is an advantage for the defense as well, as much as, you know, as Blake Gilligan's leg is for the defense, same kind of thing. I mean, we're talking flipping field position, um, putting opposing offenses back as far as you possibly can. So I thought that was, that was definitely a big takeaway from Saturday for me. All right. So moving forward now, we'll get to Buffalo in more depth on Thursday, but initial thoughts, what are you looking for this week? The big thing for me, and I mentioned earlier on Pat Fryermuth, uh, he takes that shot to the head around the goal line. Walks off under his own power. Uh, he was in, in uniform in the second half. He was there on the sideline. But, I mean, they didn't need to play him. However, James Franklin was asked afterward, you know, had the situation been different, would Pat Fryermuth have been able to go back in and play? And Franklin really shut the question down and said, you know, he wasn't going to get into injury specifics, which therefore leads me to believe that there is something there, right? Because otherwise he just would have said, oh, you know, he'd come back, whatever. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, next week is certainly a bigger challenge than Idaho was. Buffalo mm-hmm. won ten games last year. Has a really good coach, Lance Leopold. You know, they're a, they're a solid team. They lost a lot, but they're you know it's a step up. But it is still a type of game where if you need to, to you know be you know extra cautious with Friermuth. Now, if it's 
you know, a head injury, then they'd be cautious regardless because it's a head injury. Uh, but yeah. you know, then we, they probably don't need Pat Firemuth next week. So we'll see, but it, it, it's Buffalo. They should win easily, but it is a step up. So it's like this. And I feel like it's every week, right, Matt? It's like, you, you know, you do, you go against Buffalo, then you have Pitt that following week, right? Then you have Maryland that yes. Friday night game. I think every week you're just kind of seeing, you know, a little bit more, one more step after the next. Um, so to me, that's kind of the thing. I mean, I don't think we're going to see anything change in terms of starters this week. I still would even expect that Ricky Slade would be the first back out because, again, it was one showing. You have to see the, how this depth develops. But, um, yeah, for me, that's Firemuth was the only thing to really, truly keep an eye on this week. All right, so that's it. 79-7, to Penn State beats Idaho. Uh, we will be back here on Thursday for subscribers only for our Buffalo preview. So, reminder to please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. If you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash podcast expansion. 40% off first year. Make sure to read Audrey's fantastic coverage from the weekend. Audrey had a great story on the long-running connection between KJ Hamler and Sean Clifford that developed on the recruiting trail off of Saturday's game, and then her very, very, very deep dive into the game itself and every and all her takeaways was up Monday morning, as it will every week. So look for our podcast Mondays after the game. Look for her upon further review after the game on Mondays, and uh, yeah, look for us on Thursday for our Buffalo podcast for athletic subscribers only. And please leave us questions. I'm on Twitter at MattBrownCFB. Audrey is at OddSnyder4, A-U-D Snyder4. So please give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about Penn State. Let us know what you want us to talk about. So that'll do it for this Monday edition of Dear Old State. Thanks for listening in. We'll uh, see you soon.